book of Zephaniah tonight. I told Brother Earl that we're in dangerous territory, and he'd rather bring a piece of pen, a paper and a pen, take notes, and correct me when I'm done. Right? Some of you all know, don't know why we give Brother Earl such a hard time. It's because Brother Earl thinks up here, and the rest of us are somewhere in this area. All right? Uh, book of Zephaniah is an interesting book. Um, I hope, I hope that each day you spend time in God's Word. You're supposed to. Um, our days can vary. The busyness of the days, the stuff that happens in the day before can impact what happens today. All kinds of things can happen. But God's Word should be the one consistent thing that happens. Um, The Word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's available for you if you'll use it. One of the things, I got this this specific Bible, I don't know, probably four or five years ago. And I've read through the Bible a number of times. um, But this Bible has lines on the side uh, next to the verses so you can take notes. Or draw pictures, whichever fits your personality. Um, but uh, my goal when I bought this Bible was to read through every book of the Bible and take notes as I read. And so this week I made a list of all the books that are left. I got all the New Testament ones done. They were easy. Okay, Zephaniah was one of the ones that I didn't have done. Uh, also Zechariah, Ezekiel, you know, Isaiah, Leviticus, you know, all the ones that everybody wants to read first off when they read their Bible, right? And so... <laughs> My goal this year is to finish all those books because I should, right? But as I was reading through the book of Zephaniah, uh, it's a book of judgment, uh, to be quite honest. God says, hey, here's what's coming down the road. But the interesting part about the book of Zephaniah is I read through the book of Zephaniah, all three chapters. Okay, we're going to go through the whole book tonight, right? not verse by verse, right? because we all have to go to work tomorrow. But the, the book of Zephaniah is very, what I would consider to be typical of the minor prophets, right? Here's how this nation's going to get destroyed. Here's how this nation's going to get destroyed. Here's how this nation's going to get destroyed. And then we'll talk a little bit about Judah, a little bit about Israel, all right? But the book of Zephaniah had a very uncanny, and I don't think it's a mistake, God did this, but as I looked at the book from, from a bird's eye view. There were three things that jumped out at me tonight, and that's what we're going to talk about. Really, it deals with the fact that as Christians, there are things we can count on when it comes to our life, all right? And so tonight, with the Lord's help, um, we're going to talk about certainty in Zephaniah. I don't really like that title. I just want to confess that to everybody, all right? I like cool titles, I tried and I tried and I couldn't come up with a cool title, so that's what you get, all right? If you come up with a better one, give it to me afterwards. I'll put it in my notes and we'll pretend it was mine, all right? Let's read here Zephaniah chapter 1. We will not read the whole book. Don't get nervous, all right? I know we have the little people in here tonight, so we're going to keep moving forward, all right? Zephaniah chapter number 1, verse number 1. The Bible says, The word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. 
This is what God said to Zephaniah, verse number 2. And I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and from the name of the Chemerims with the priests. Them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops, and them that worship and that swear by the Lord, and them that swear by Malcolm, and them that are turned back from the Lord, and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also will I punish all those that leap upon the threshold which fill their master's house with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that there shall be a noise of a cry from the fish gate and a howling from the second and a great crashing from the hills. Father, would you speak to us tonight? Lord, give me clarity as I think and as I speak. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto thee. Lord, would you use this time as a profitable time for each one of us spiritually? Would you speak to my heart and to each heart here in this room? Guide us as to what you want us to change and what you want us to do better. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. The book of Zephaniah is written to the Jews, as is most of the minor prophets. And many people say, well, it's written to the Jews, and so it doesn't apply to us. We can just read it for beneficial sake, and that's as good as it gets. But as we look at the book of Zephaniah, there are some some very similar ideas that we see in our our world today and in our life today. One uh, One of the characteristics of the minor prophets is that phrase, the day of the Lord. And depending on what the context is, it can mean different things. Uh, Every time it's not a good thing, it's it's judgment. There is something going to happen. Uh, And the Lord always says, here's why. He doesn't say, you're getting judged because I said so. He says, you're going to get judged because of these reasons. Uh, This book was written, or at least the Lord spoke to Zephaniah during the reign of Josiah. If you're not familiar with Josiah, Josiah became a king at a very young age. And after he was king for a little bit, they found the law hidden in the temple. They got the law out. They took it to Josiah, and they read the entire law to him. And Josiah got it. And he proclaimed a fast, and the revivals hit Israel. And as revival hits Israel, the false gods get taken care of. The the altars are torn down. The groves are cut down. Baal worshipers are, are either killed or run for their lives. And his revival changes Israel, but it doesn't change everyone. Now, you can go check with Brother Earl after the service about this. But according to as I read this uh, again this morning, Zephaniah, as we get towards the end, is talking about the movement from the end of the tribulation into the millennium. All right, he's nodding his head. That means I'm halfway right. All right? I'm kidding. All right? There's going to be judgment coming. And, and we, almost every service here we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. 
But as I read this, I thought, you know, I do want Jesus to come. But if I'm going to say that, I better make sure that I'm ready. You say, well, I'm saved, so I'm ready. That's not what I'm talking about. If we're saved, we are ready to go to heaven, right? But when, when Jesus comes back, our time, our, 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 our length of impact on this earth is done. There are people I still want to reach, people I know are lost that need the gospel, that I've given it to or maybe I've prayed for and they haven't come to Christ yet. And while I want the trials and the tribulations of our day to end, I also am torn because I want these people to come to know Christ. And so it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So as we work through this tonight, again, we're going to skip through. We're not going to read everything. Um, if you want to get the whole picture, go home and read the book tonight. It won't take you, but maybe... 30 minutes or 40 minutes to read through it, all right? And then go to Brother Owen and get the cliff notes. Okay. First of all, Zephaniah chapter 1, the first thing that we see is some promised consequences. We understand that sin has consequences, correct? It does. The wages of sin is death, right? Every man will be held accountable for the things he's done in this life. And so as we look at this book, the first thing that jumps out is that punishment is coming. Look at verse number uh, 12 in chapter number 1. The Bible says, And it shall come to, that, come to pass at that time that I, this is the Lord speaking, will search Jerusalem with candles. He's giving the impression he's not just making a cursory glance. He's looking at every nook and cranny. And what's he looking for? He's looking to punish the men that are settled on their lees. They're sitting in in relaxation, and comfort. Why? Look at what it says. That say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. God's neutral. God doesn't have an opinion. Does that sound familiar? He says, I want to come find these people. Why? Because that's not who God is. There's consequences. In verse number 13, we find that therefore their goods shall become a booty, a loot for the people that conquer this area to take with them. Their houses, a desolation. They shall also build houses but not inhabit them. Can you imagine that? If you were building a house but you knew, I'm never going to get to live in this house. That's pointless and there's no hope. Look what it says, finish the verse. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. We find a punishment's coming. Everything's going to be desolate. There's no escape. If you read verses 8, 9, and 10 in chapter number 1, it covers all of the groups of people, the rich people, the poor people, the people who are laborers, the ones who are just barely getting by, the rich people. Everyone will be held accountable. You say, that's a wonderful thing to hear on Wednesday night. I agree. That's not the end of the story, though. We understand that each one of us is born with a sin nature, right? We're born that way. We show up with bad blood. Where'd that bad blood come from? Adam. That's where it came from. And each one of us showed up with bad blood, so then what happens? We have to come face to face with making a decision, how do we fix this problem? But then as we continue to read, I want you to notice something here. And this this caught me off guard as I was reading this. All of a sudden, God, through the prophet Zephaniah, stops it. It's almost like he takes a 90-degree turn. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1. Let's go back and read 17 and 18 to get context. And I'll bring distress, God's still the one speaking, upon men, and that they shall walk like blind men. Why? 
because they've sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. God's going to judge everybody. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 2. Gather yourselves together, yea. Gather together, O nation not desired. Before the decree bring forth... Before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Are you getting a point? He's saying, hey, you probably should do something before this day gets here. Don't wait. Look at verse 3. What are we supposed to do? Seek ye the Lord. All ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. What's the hope that we find in Zephaniah? There's still hope for reconciliation between God and man. Up until that last moment, forgiveness is still available. We see a lot of interesting things in the news happening in our world today. Things that 10 years ago would have boggled our mind. That will never happen in America. That would never happen. And we're now seeing it happen live. But understand, each person has the opportunity to get forgiveness. They do. Until that window of salvation is closed, they have a chance. So you can say, well, that person over there, they support this movement, and that's wicked. So I'm not even going to give them a track. I'm not even going to witness them. You better witness to them. They need it just as bad as you did. All right? There's promised consequences, but there's hope. We find here in verse, uh, chapter number 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. If you read the rest of chapter number 2, and we're going to skip over it for the sake of time, it talks about how God's going to judge the other nations, not Judah, not Israel, the other nations, right? The Philistines, Syria, all the other nations that have oppressed Israel and Judah, right? And then we get to chapter number 3. Chapter number 3, God then returns to the Jews. And he'll pronounce judgment specifically in this book against Judah. Right? Remember, back in chapter 1, verse number 1, we're talking to the nation of Judah who is led by Josiah at this time. And what happens? This, this was one of those things that I read it, I'm like, okay, I get it. And then I stepped back and looked at the big picture, and I'm like, there it is. Not only do we have promised consequences... We have polluted Christians just say, hold on, Mr. Davies, there was no such thing as a Christian in the Old Testament. Yes and no, all right? We use the word Christian to describe people who were supposed to live like Christ in the time period of the New Testament moving forward. But there were people who lived in a way that honored Christ in the Old Testament. All right? I want you to pay attention to the, to the, the language in chapter number 3. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. Speaking about Jerusalem. Look at verse number two. She obeyed not the voice. Okay, which voice are we talking about? Let's keep reading. She received not correction. She trusted not in the Lord. She drew not near to her God. We're talking about the Jews. 
But notice what they're, t- they're not saying. Well, I told them to come to Christ and they didn't listen. I told them to follow Jehovah and they didn't listen. No, it says he corrected them. What's the Bible say? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. These are people who were at some point following Jehovah. There's some speculation as to when in Josiah's reign the book of Zephaniah was written. Was it before the revival and this book led to the revival? Or was it after the revival? And there's a bunch of people who have good opinions on either side. Truth of the matter is, we don't really know. But if you read this, it's apparent that these people at some point serve God. We find some Christians that are polluted. What were they polluted with? Well, if we look at chapter number 1, verse number 17, we find there's sin there. All right? Why does, why does God bring distress upon these men in verse number 17, chapter number 1? Because they have sinned against the Lord. Look at verse number, or chapter number 3, verse number 1. They're filthy and polluted. Verse number 2. This is, this is, this is the... If we had to sum up what it's like to be a Christian who's not right with God, verse number two would be our answer. Obey not the voice, receive not the correction, trust not in the Lord, and draw not near to her God. Those are Christians who don't care about living for God. But it's not just the Christians. Look at verse number three. It's their leadership. Verse number three, her princes within her are roaring lions. What's a roaring lion? You need to you need to think when you read God's word. I know. I'm sorry. Right? What's a roaring lion? At the risk of being obvious, it's a lion who's roaring. You may not know this, but a lion who's roaring is not doing anything. He's not hunting. He's not sleeping. He's sitting around. He's like, I feel pretty good about this. So he lets everybody know. What do we call that? So I was reading this, 1 Corinthians came to mind, chapter number 13. A sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. What's that? It's just noise. The roaring lions. We keep reading, what, what, is it, what else does it say? Princes are within her are roaring lions, her judges are evening wolves. All right? We could get into the weeds. We're not going to, Brother Earl, okay? The weeds, the, the wolves, what do they do? They hunt for the fun of it. You may not know that. Wolves don't hunt necessarily to eat, although they do eat. But they'll hunt, they'll kill three or four cows, and they'll take a little bite of each one, and that's it, and they're good, and they take off. There's no point. They're, they're killing for no reason. Keep reading. They gnaw not the bones till the morrow. The leadership of the nation of Judah led the way away from God. Away from God. So we have people that are in sin, people that refuse correction. They're led by these leaders who are self-centered, making lots of noise but having no impact. And then look at verse number 7. This is the Lord speaking. This, this caught my attention. The Lord says, And I said, Surely thou wilt fear me. God's not making a threat. He's saying, Hey, this makes sense. You should fear me. Keep reading. Thou wilt receive my instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off. Howsoever I punish them. What's he saying? Hey, you guys can get forgiveness and come back, get correction, and you're still going to get punished, but I'm not going to wipe you off the face of the earth. You can listen. Look at the end of the verse. 
but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. What did they say? We don't care, God. We're good. We're saved. We're going to heaven. That's good enough. I don't need to live for Christ. We have promised consequences. But then also we have these Christians who are just not living for the Lord. But then third of all, and this is, well, this is the best part of the chapter, chapter 3, verse number 8, moving into the end of the chapter. We find that God says, you may not, you're not going to obey, you're going to get judged, but I'm not finished. All right, the Bible makes it very clear. Here's free stuff. You can get Brother Earl to sign the paper afterwards. All right? God's not done with Israel yet. He's not. You hear people say, well, God threw the Jews out with the bathwater because Christians are here. The Christians are better. Why? We don't know, but because they're better. Okay? And the Jews, they had all those chances, and they rejected the Messiah, but we didn't reject the Messiah, and so we're better. And you're also prideful, but that's beside the point because we're better. Okay? You know, the truth of the matter is, if you read the end of Zephaniah, God says, I'm coming back, and we're going to fix this. Look what it says, chapter 3, verse number 8. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is, this is his plan, to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger. For all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my suppliants, even the daughter of my dispersed, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doings, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty, because of my holy mountain. I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, for they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. What's the third thing we see tonight? We see a proclaimed conclusion. This is how the story ends. God's going to come back. He's going to iron out the wicked. He's going to deal with the children of Israel and fix things. And from that point forward, what are we going to find? The Jews will feed and lie down and none shall make them afraid. He said, well, that's a great ending. We're not done yet. Keep reading. This, I had never read this before, Brother Earl. I'm slow, okay? I'll admit to you. Everybody now knows it, all right? There's a phrase here I'd never seen before caught my attention. Let's read verse number 14. We see that uh, they're supposed to be singing. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Look what it says. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The king of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. Why should Israel rejoice? Look what God did. It's not, oh, this is what he did in the past. No, God just did this. Did you see it? Don't miss it. Keep reading. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear thou not. And to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. 
I knew that verse, Brother Earl. That verse is one of the uh, scripture songs my kids learned who knows how long ago. Never clicked me. What's God doing? He's rejoicing over you, but not just, hey! No, He's rejoicing over you with joy. What's that joy? That's that deep-seated emotion that doesn't fluctuate with what's happening around. He will rest in His love. for He will joy over thee with singing. Sounds to me like we're not the only ones doing singing in heaven. That God's going to be part of that. Keep reading. It's not over yet. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gather her that was driven out. I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. Look at verse number 20. At that time will I bring you again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth. Look at this last phrase, when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith the Lord. We have a proclaimed conclusion. What happens here in chapter, the end of chapter number 3? First of all, the wicked get punished. We know that's coming. We all, hey, you'll get yours eventually, right? This punishment is going to come for everyone who's not right with God. You're going to get punished. But we also see that the righteous will be purified. And we know that's the case from reading the rest of the Bible. That there will be people who are not necessarily right with God, but are saved. And there will be a reckoning. But then... In verse number 17, we find that this will be the time when we see the joy of the Lord displayed by the Lord. And the thing that, that's interesting, God's calling their attention to this event in the future. It hasn't happened when Zephaniah, and it hasn't happened yet. But he's calling their attention to this event in the future, where he says, you're going to see me do this. Not just, oh yeah, it's going to happen. No, you're going to watch it. And say, oh, I heard about that. No, you're going to see it with your eyes where I iron everything out and Israel is back where it belongs and back in the position where God wants it to be because they will be right with me. We have the promised consequence, the polluted Christians, the proclaimed conclusion. You say, well, Mr. Davies, that's a lovely story. So what? Why do we care? Well, there's a couple of thoughts I'd like to give you, and we'll be done. First of all, we understand the purpose of our presence here on this earth is to go to those people who are going to experience the consequences of their sin and give them the truth of the gospel. We know that's what we're supposed to do, and we ought to be doing that. But we also know that as Christians, unless we're right with God, we are not a vessel fit for the Master's use. And I find myself so easily distracted by the things of this world, the things of my everyday life, the, the things that pop into vision, that I don't find myself in that position where I say, you know what, if Jesus came back right now, I'd be like, I'm ready. Not that I have things like, oh, I'm going to miss whatever, but that I'm ready to meet him, Brother Bill. i got a clean slate. I've witnessed to everybody I'm supposed to witness to. I've done my job as I should. 
I think we have uh, a misconception. We, we know that uh, in the New Testament we find that it's the, the servants, when they come before the king, what's the king say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Say, oh, God's going to say that to me, Brother Bill, when I get to heaven. Uh, that, that's, a, that's stepping out on a limb and cutting it off behind you. Who does he say well done to? Servants that are good, Christ's righteousness, and faithful. Doesn't mean the servants that, well, I'm going to get the right at the end, Brother Bill. When I get close to dying, I'm going to get myself right with God so I can go into heaven with a clean slate. You missed it. That's not a good and faithful servant. Say, so, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to hear, well done. Your well done is based on what you've done, not on what you wish you could have done. And then we also see here in Zephaniah that there's going to come a day where everything gets ironed out. I'm looking forward to that day. I got a lot of work to do before then. I had work I had to do this afternoon. Because I thought, okay, if I'm going to preach about this, my heart's got to be right. That's one of the things that pops into my mind. We say, okay, say something to somebody about the Savior before next service. And if the Lord comes back, we'll see you in heaven. I hope the Lord does come back. It'll solve a lot of problems. But I better be ready. That means before I say, even so come, Lord Jesus, I better say, okay, Lord, you need to forgive me for this, and you need to forgive me for this, and I, I, shouldn't, I, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. That's like you say, go clean your room to your children. And say, come back and say, it's clean! I, always, I, don't, ever, I don't ever go, look, first, Josh, I ask questions. Is it clean like I want it clean? Well, I think so. You better go check again. Or if I say go clean your room and they come back in three minutes, is it clean like what? Yeah. No, it's not. Not in three minutes it's not. Not unless you're a miracle worker or you have magic powers or something. A lot of Christians say, even so, come Lord Jesus. But the Lord says, you mean like you're right with me like right with me? Or like you're right with me close enough right with me? We need to be careful what we, what we say. And we need to make sure that we're right with the Lord. We have, we have so much potential that we carry around with us right here. The teens went out knocking doors tonight. We've had, we've had good success. We've been out three times so far this spring. We've had good success. Had a young man led to the Lord last week. This week we had a number of doors that we hit. Uh, we're getting ready to do MBT, canvassing. We're seeing God do things. That's good. It's not enough. We have a map out on the wall that I started keeping in, well, in the spring of 2020. Before, you know, anyways. And we were still knocking doors. And we highlighted all the streets. And my goal for a long time is the Perkins, what? We got to get all the streets highlighted. And I was standing there today trying to figure out where we're going to knock doors today and looking at the streets and thinking about that area of town. Is it a good place to take teenagers? Is it not a good place? And I thought, we got about a third of Withville left to do before everybody's gotten a track in the last five years. And I thought, it's not enough. How many people have died? How many people have moved on? How many people have moved in? We just don't... We could go out, everybody in this room could go out every Wednesday this summer, and we still couldn't hit every door in Whitfield. 
So before I say, even so, come Lord Jesus, which is biblical, and I'm not arguing with that. I think we better make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do before he comes back. We got to be busy. We got to be busy. 